Hi, I'm Bruce Bartow, the chaplain here at Kim Ray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. Okay, as we continue talking about foundational truths that God wants us to understand, you know, last week we looked at keeping the main thing the main thing, and I talked a little more in depth about how getting to know God is really the main deal for us as believers, as children of God, because God is making us in his image. That was week one, and he wants us to know him because as we get to know him, we get to know what he is conforming us to, what he is making us to be like. First through new birth and then through growing up to become mature. All right, so getting to know God then is very important because we need to be able to trust him. Because if we're going to walk with God by faith, which is trust, we need to know the person we're trusting. Know that when he makes us a promise, he's not going to add terms and conditions to it. That he's not got hidden clauses that will catch us off guard, that will cause us to fail when we've tried our best and all those kind of things. All right, so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about covenants, promises. Uh, not terribly in-depth today. We'll probably cover some more of them in the future and ideas about them and what they're all about and why God deals with mankind on the basis of covenants, which is just agreements or promises. Because, again, if God makes us a promise, we need to know that the person who's making us the promise, this promise to us, is going to be faithful to that promise. That he doesn't have, like I said a moment ago, some hidden clause or some tripwire that we're going to run into that's going to kick us out of the deal. All right, so let's talk about the definition of covenant. It's to come together or have a meeting of the minds or agreement of the minds. Otherwise, two of us agree on something. That's one meaning. I got this out of Webster's 1828 edition of the English Language Dictionary because he deals a lot with theological issues in that particular publication. He talks about agreements between people and contracts and those kind of things, but specifically I liked, I wanted to talk about the third definition he mentioned, the third category, which was in theology. And I'll just read this to you. In theology, the covenant of works that is implied in the commands, talking about the old covenant given at Mount Sinai, prohibitions and promises of God the promise of God to man that man's perfect obedience should entitle him to happiness. This do and live, or that do and die. That was the old covenant. It was very cut and dried, and really it was a, it was a type of covenant we'll talk about here in just a minute. But there was a different kind of covenant also that God has made with mankind over the years. This one is called the covenant of redemption, according to Webster's. It is the mutual agreement between the Father and the Son respecting the redemption of sinners by Christ. All right, so the covenant that secured our redemption was, a, was an agreement or promise or contract made between the Father and the Son, between 
God the Father and the Lord Jesus, not between God and mankind. All right, so covenants are really important. God deals with us on the basis of covenants. There are two kinds. I mentioned a couple different kinds of covenants a minute ago, that there were more than one kind. The kind that we as humans are probably most familiar with is what I would call a bilateral agreement or bilateral covenant or promise. It's like, I'll give you $100 for your goat, <laughs> or I'll do this for you if you'll do that for me. Uh, we have those with employers. We give them hours of our time. They give us paychecks. Uh, you might give somebody money, and they give you a house. Well, they don't give it to you. You buy it from them. You make an agreement. And so it's a bilateral covenant, bilateral agreement that requires action on both sides. There's value given from both sides and value received by both sides. That's a bilateral. There's also unilateral covenants or agreements or promises that one individual makes that has nothing to do with what the other person will do, promises to do, or has to do. It's just, it is purely a one-sided promise. And we'll look at a couple different of those here in just a minute. Now, when a covenant is made, usually there's some kind of a seal. There's something that, that clinches the deal. You, you sign a piece of paper, and there's terms and conditions on there. And if you default, it's going to cost you something anyway. Usually that token is given. For instance, if I agree to buy your house for $100,000, and as a token of my promise to buy your house for $100,000, and you have agreed to sell it to me for $100,000, I give you $10,000 earnest money as a token or down payment of the promise that I have made. And if I back out, I lose that token. Okay? And you can't back out without having to give me the token back. There's a loss that would be incurred on either side if we back out. Okay? So that's a, that's a bilateral agreement. A token is given. Sometimes... Agreements were made in the Bible that, what I, that are what I would call a life covenant. And they're sealed with blood of a sacrifice that was to signify that the life of the guarantor is on the line. And they wouldn't hand the other person blood out of their own body. What they would do is they would sacrifice an animal and, and typically they would eat they would cook the animal, roast it, and eat it, signifying we have both received the benefit of this token given, but the real price is the life of the person who made the promise. If I don't do what I said I would do to you, it will cost me my life. So those life covenants are extremely important. That's why there's so many sacrifices in the Bible signifying life-on-the-line agreements. All right, so keep those in mind. This token given, you know, how about a coat? I promise I'll do this for you, and here's my coat 
as a token. Or here's my shoe. They would give odd things, maybe a belt or whatever. They'd give it to someone, a sash, a, a rod. And they used to carry the family staff that has signet on it. And they would give it to the other person. And they got to keep it as to prove that you made a promise to me. Okay, and you can't have it back until you fulfill the promise. And so those kind of things were done, tokens were given, to prove that the agreement had been made. And once they're made, the deal is sealed. Some examples of covenants, I think, that are good for us to look at today. One is Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know, they've, they've sinned. There's a sin problem now in the world. And God's actually speaking to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, because she, the serpent had deceived her, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So he just made this promise. Even though he's speaking to Satan, he actually made this promise to Eve that one day you're going to have a child that will deal a death blow to your enemy. Okay, it's very important. He didn't say as long as, he didn't put a term and condition on Eve or anybody else in mankind. He just said one day her seed will bruise your head. Okay, one translation says crush the serpent's head. Okay, so this promise was made by God, unsolicited by someone else, and not based on terms and conditions that had to be fulfilled by anybody else in order for him to make good on his promise. Now, it's important to realize that that is a unilateral covenant made with Eve and her descendant, singular, that he was going to do something. Now, here's the deal. The Bible says that God is who he is, and his word never fails. And so, it's, like I said, it's important that we know God to the extent that we can believe him even when it looks like his word is failing, that his word will not fail. Because God's promises are irrevocable, the Bible says. They're without repentance. The gifts and the call of God are without repentance. He never says he's going to do something and backs out of his, of his deal. He never, he never does that. And we'll look at a verse here in a few minutes that confirms that. Another covenant that was made with to mankind via a single human was Noah. And the flood has come, the waters have risen, they floated around for about a year after 40 days and 40 nights of rain, they kept floating around for about a year, then the water recedes, Noah comes out, and in Genesis 8 it says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. This is one of those life burnt offering covenant sealing deal <laughs> okay and then when the lord smelled the pleasing aroma the lord said in his heart he said to himself i will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth neither will i ever again strike down every living creature as i have done while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. He didn't say, as long as man keeps his act together. 
He didn't say any of that. There was blood sacrificed. God made a promise, and he basically swore to mankind, I will never do that again. Okay, so God is trustworthy, and it's been thousands of years since then. And guess what? Seed time and harvest, summer and winter, sun rises, sun sets, day in and day out. That stuff doesn't cease. Okay, another covenant I think would be important for us to look at today is the covenant between God and Israel given at Mount Sinai through Moses. Uh, we call it the Old Testament or Old Covenant. And that is actually a bilateral covenant. It, it had terms and conditions for the nation of Israel that they were supposed to live up to. Basically, God says, these are the things I will do for you, but you need to do these things for me. Like we read, read in uh, Noah Webster's definition, as long as you guys live up to perfect performance, these are the things I'll do for you. Now, again, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the law and how the law couldn't actually make someone righteous. But humans are good at thinking they're righteous and they're good enough. So it appears, based on what the scripture teaches, that the law was given not to save mankind or make us right with God. It was given to reveal that we needed a savior in order to become right with God. So we needed something to look at that was an unmovable benchmark of performance to reveal what true righteousness actually looks like. You know, we're going to talk about, you know, the Abrahamic covenant here in a minute, but it was important to realize, again, like I said a few weeks ago, that Abraham was righteous by faith, not by works. And that's always been the case. From Enoch to Noah to David, all that throughout the scripture, people were righteous by faith, just like Abraham was. In Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read this passage. It'll help us understand about the Abrahamic covenant. I mean, excuse me, the, the covenant through Moses that was bilateral. Galatians 3, 15 to 18 says this, Brethren, I speak in human terms, in terms of human relations. He's talking about, he's comparing it to a human contract or agreement. Even though it is only a man's covenant, Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside, kicks it to the curb, or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, and he does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate the covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance to Abraham and his seed is based on law, it is no longer on the basis of a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. So here's what Paul is saying to the Galatians. God made a promise to Abraham, unilateral agreement. I will do this for you, and, to your, and this will be the benefit to your seed. 
referring to one person. Again, like he did Eve, he did to Abraham. There's one coming that I will fulfill my promise through. He said the law which came 430 years later after Abraham received the promise was not altered, the promise to Abraham was not altered by the terms and conditions of the new, what was then the new covenant through Moses. It didn't change the old one given to Abraham. Okay, so what was the purpose of the old covenant? We talked about it a few weeks ago. It was to enlighten us to our need for a savior to the need to be brought into relationship with God on the basis of faith like Abraham rather than by works which we were never able to live up to another covenant on this one is unilateral it was the one given to David in 2nd Samuel 7 God is promising something to David. He said, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? What have I ever done to deserve this? Answer, nothing. And yet, this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. Not only have you given me this now, but you've told me something about way in the future that's just too hard to believe. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant. You know that I don't deserve this. Oh, Lord God, for your sake, this is important, for your sake, excuse me, for the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done this greatness to let your servant know. He didn't do this because of David. He did it because of his own heart, because of his own decision to do so. God did this for David. He just made him a promise. Now, David was a man for God's own heart, but he also committed adultery and murder. And so David couldn't say, I deserve this. God couldn't say, because you've lived a perfect life before me, I want to make you a promise. It was just based on the fact that he decided to promise David something, that his kingdom would endure forever. And what we know now, because of Christ, is a king is now sitting on the throne of his father, David, who will never die, and his kingdom is forever and ever. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to mention Abraham and that unilateral covenant that God made with him again, I want to look at a little more in depth than that just real quick. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 to 18, it says this, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, Abraham did, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, but with them an oath is given as confirmation 
it is, is an end of every dispute. So if we're arguing about the term, once the oath is given, I swear by my life, or I swear you can have my coat, or whatever it is, the dispute ends. The deal is made. All right? So in the same way, in order to end our wonderings, is God serious about this? In the same way, God, verse 17, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. He made a life oath. So that by two unchangeable things, he made an oath that can't be broken, in which is it impossible for God to lie, so he can't lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. We can be absolutely certain because God never lies and he would never break a promise because he's made this life oath. I will do this. And he, he didn't swear by anybody else. He swore by himself. Like Noah, like Noah Webster said in his dictionary, um, it was a promise made from the father to the son. God swore to himself. And what he said was, my life is the price of this promise. Well, what we know is Jesus Christ gave his life to seal this promise. It's not the blood of bulls and goats, but the sacrifice that was cut, sealing the promise of God to mankind, that we will have righteousness by faith, like he told Abraham, was sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Not in a temple made on earth with hands, but in heaven itself. That's an amazing thing. Let me describe the covenant between God and Abraham to show how this is foreshadowed so well in Scripture. When Abraham was being promised that God was going to do this great thing for him and that his the Savior would come through his family, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, he promised him. Abraham was instructed to prepare a sacrifice. It was a bull and a goat and a sheep and some birds, and there were, there were several animals, and he prepared the sacrifice. He cut the covenant. He cut the animals in half, and he laid half over here and half over there, and there was like a little path between the, the halves of the animal. And typically what would happen is if two people cut a covenant like that, they would both walk through the covenant and say something like this, the Lord do so to me and more if I do not fulfill my word, if I break my covenant with you. Always make me like these animals. Okay? Abraham got that all prepared and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and he gets sleepy and he falls asleep. And while he's sleeping, he has a dream and he sees a vision of what appears to him a smoking furnace passing through the sacrifices. And what did he hear? He heard a voice saying, surely I will bless you, surely I will multiply you. So God passed between the sacrifices by himself, not with Abraham. So his promise to Abraham was not predicated upon Abraham living up to some kind of terms and conditions. They didn't do this together. God did it by himself. And he said, my life is on the line. 
I will literally be divided if I break my promise to you. Well, the New Testament tells us that when God makes that promise to a believer, he seals that promise with the earnest of the Holy Spirit. All right, so he gives the believer the Holy Spirit as the seal of his promise to save him forever. Now, what happens, again, if I don't buy the house that I've given people earnest money for? They get to keep the earnest money. Well, the earnest money in God's promise is himself. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Well, who's he? He's God. He's not God light. <laughs> He's God complete. All right, so in order for, if God were to break his promise to save to the uttermost someone who has received righteousness by faith, guess what that person gets to keep? The Holy Spirit. Well, here's the deal. God is not going to break his promise. He is not going to be divided. And he has saved that person to the uttermost. He is, he'll be with you, Jesus said, and in you forever, referring to the Holy Spirit. So all of this is beautifully foreshadowed in the, in, the, in the covenants and promises that God made to various people throughout Scripture. And it was real for them. Abraham was reckoned to be righteous, even though he did big pieces of stupid like all of us do. It wasn't about sinlessness. It was about a promise that was made to him because God looked at him and said, this man believes me. He didn't have to do anything. He just believes me. Abraham believed God. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. And so God promised him something, not on the basis of you got to do these things for me, but just because he just wanted to. And he put his own life on the line when he cut the covenant with Abraham. He put his own life on the line for all of us when he cut the covenant through Jesus Christ. And he puts his life on the line when you believe in him and receive Christ because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ comes to live inside of you and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, the Bible says, who is the earnest of God's promise to be faithful to you. That's an amazing thing that when I remember it, <laughs> it gives me peace that I really can't even explain. When I don't remember it, when I get distracted from it, I begin to get nervous. Have I been good enough? You know, God going to like me enough and all that kind of stuff. It's not based on that. It's based on the promise he made, the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I'll finish with this verse. In John 1:12, it says, but as many as received him, even to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So, and another, I said I'd finish, but I'm gonna give you one more verse. John 6, I believe 39 maybe 29, says this. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The only thing he's asking for us is to believe in him. In exchange for that, we get righteousness. Philippians 3, we'll talk about next week, talks about how Paul received the righteousness from God on the basis of faith. And so do we when we put our faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are so magnificent that long before 
You said, let there be light. You had this plan completely set out in mind of what you were going to do for us and how you were going to do it. It involved not only your creative work in the Garden of Eden and making us in your image, but it also involved knowing full well ahead of time that your son's blood would seal the deal for us. And you give it to us freely by your grace when we put our faith in Christ and his shed blood alone. Thank you that we can have confidence, we who have fled to your throne of grace to find hope and help in time of need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.